Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Another Monday, another Football Social Daily for you to get stuck into. Match day two of the new Premier League season is still not done. West Ham and Leicester face off in the capital tonight. We'll discuss how that one may go this evening and why Mikhail Antonio is close to being a Hammers record holder. Jordan Shakiri is on his way out of Anfield. The Liverpool midfielder is heading to Lyon. But does his departure mean a new face could pitch up on Merseyside? And Chelsea could yet strengthen their squad even more with a week left of the window. And Tottenham too could get their hands on an American international playing in Europe. All of that to come on today's podcast, Football Social Daily, the only seven-day Premier League show out there. I'm Niall and joining me on this Monday morning, again back for another slice of podcast action, Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Morning. Um, <laughs> what's this now? So there's five last week. I was on, was I on the Friday of the week? I think this is like the eighth in a row I've done now. We need to set a target for you. 156. No, that's too much. <laughs> Even I'd be sick of you by then, to be fair. And also making his Football Social Daily debut. A warm welcome to the squad. Joel, how you doing? Good morning, guys. Happy to be here. Good to have you on. Joel's part of the uh, sports social team. Good to have you with us. Hopefully you make a better debut. Free than... transfer. Yeah. <laughs> a free transfer. Um, no signing on fee, thankfully. And uh, we're going to start by talking about West Ham United against Leicester. 8pm kickoff tonight at the London Stadium. Two sides that have started their top flight campaigns pretty well, it has to be said. Two wins, uh, one win each, sorry, uh, last week. West Ham getting the better of Newcastle in the Jim versus Marley derby. And Leicester getting the better of Wolverhampton Wanderers last week. But the two sides, Hammers and the Foxes, face off tonight. And I wanted to start, Marley, by talking about a rather unusual record that we only discovered, or I only discovered, before we came into the studio to record the podcast. And that's that Mikhail Antonio, the West Ham forward, is on 47 goals for West Ham in the Premier League, right? Not a bad return. But this is the bit that kind of struck me. If he scores tonight or the next time he scores in the Premier League for West Ham, he would then eclipse Paolo Di Canio as the all-time West Ham Premier League goalscorer. Is that an underrated record for an underrated player, do you think? Or does that tell us more about West Ham and their troubles and struggles in the Premier League over the years than it does Antonio? 
Yeah, I think it, it more just tells you about um, how bad West Ham strikers have been <laughs> over the years, really, doesn't it? Um, I think with... I'm just looking at uh, who else is up there. I think... How many did you say? Antonio's got 47 and he needs he's, one more. Yeah, he's level with Paolo Di Canio at the moment. Right, so Mark Noble, I'm just looking at, has got just under that. I think he's got about 42, 43, something like that. <laughs> 38 of pens, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think so... Looking at, he's got 54 goals for West Ham in the league and eight of them came in the championship, so that's... Is that 46? You know, I mean, as you said, so 46 for Mark Noble, 40 of them, well, 35 of them probably been penalties. Mm. So you're talking, you know, not many players stay that long at West Ham to, to start thinking about records because they usually sell the best players on or they get poached by bigger clubs. Um and then you've had Antonio there, who's been there. You know, he's been played every position for us, Sam, from right back to wing back, yeah. wing back, mm. right wing, left wing, and eventually settled as a striker, where he looks uh, looks like he's found his place. Um, and he's overtook it relatively quickly with with his goals the last couple of seasons. I think he's got like twelve or thirteen in the last two years each season. So he's um, he's one of them that's sort mm. of just took it on now. And now, you know, we talk about Di Canio. I mean, when did Di Canio leave the Premier League? It was. Early Probably 2000s, yeah. yeah 20 years 15, ago, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, 20 years ago, yeah, easy. So, you know, that's the, the level, sort of the, the rate he scored out was, was insane. And then nobody's been able to do it since. But that's that's the thing for these like sort mm. of middling, middling clubs. You know, you, you find, you know, players don't stay that long to, to set records. You see it with Crystal Palace. I think Milivievic is is close to the top of theirs and he's got... All but three of his goals, I think, have been penalties yeah. for their for them. So it's a kind of kind of a similar position. So, but Antonio probably deserves it. To be fair, I think he's the best mm. striker they've had in in quite some years. Um, they haven't, you know, they've tried to spend money and it hasn't really worked. They, they give up on Haller after a, a yeah. year. That was going to be my next question because Jim always says, and he has been for the last three or four years. We've been doing this podcast. We need a striker at West Ham. We're desperate. And they did spend £40 million on Seb yeah. Allaire. And what did he last? A year? Six months? Something like well, that? I, I don't think he was that bad. I, I'd have given him more games, me. And I said that at the time. Like, you know, Jim was like, yeah, but he's, he's not really proved much. He's like, yeah, but, you know, he's came from a team that was used to winning games every week, like Frankfurt. Who, I think Frankfurt were fifth or sixth in the league when they when they sold him. Mm. Um, and he's gone to West Ham, who were just about survived relegation in that first year and, and had done the year before as well. So it's a complete... You need a year, at least, to, to settle in with that kind of change. Um, but they let him go. But, you know, Antonio, as long as he stays fit, is is fine. You know, he's, he's enough of a threat. He's physical. He can head it. He can run. He can dribble he's he's got a bit of everything really um but if he gets injured West Ham are screwed because they still need another striker even as a backup and it looks like they're going to put all their efforts into getting Lingard this summer if they can and then it seems like they'll be done so it's a case of uh of of what they do if uh, if he doesn't um if he doesn't come through well let's build on that then Joel because we know that players like Thomas Socek last season were so influential for West Ham and obviously Lingard was important when he came in on loan. But they don't have Lingard at the moment. And, you know, for a central midfield player to score as many goals as Socek did is quite rare. So actually, in terms of what they managed to do for their, for their side last season, get settled and build those foundations, do you think it was just a one-off season for West Ham? Or do you think there's something there that they can actually build upon and almost go again? When Lingard actually arrived there, it reminded me of when Payet was there just in terms of having that catalyst player who just took them to the next level. Because I remember in the last 10 games of last season when Lingard first came into the side, 
He was totally out of the England side, no contention at all. Then suddenly West Ham started picking up points. Lingard was making the difference in a lot of games, just like Payet was doing, not to the same level. But Lingard was there as someone who, like the West Ham fans could look to as that kind of pivotal player in the side. But like you said, though, now they're kind of distributing the goals all along the team. You've got Suchek, who's chipping in with the goals. You've got An- uh, Antonio, who's rivaling Di Canio's record. Like, that's a that's a huge feat for anyone at West Ham. So I feel as though it, I think it's vital for West Ham to take Lingard back if they want to get their aspirations to what it was at the end of last season. I'm quite surprised that they're not pushing the boat out like mm. as much as they can to get him because... For a player of Lingard's quality and what he brought to the side in nearly rivaling for the top four, which for West Ham last two years ago would have been an <laughs> absolute yeah. dream, pipe dream. I'm surprised that they've not gone full out, regardless of if he has one year left, because he's just a player who can take them potentially to the breadth of that top four places. Yeah, I mean, as well, the, the price tag, I think, that we discussed on the podcast last week could be between 20 and 25 million, which actually for a player like Lingard and what he gave to West Ham last season, if you consider, like we mentioned, Seb Allaire, they paid 40 million quid for him, 25 million for Lingard, an England international who, even though he's getting slightly older now, is still quality in terms of what West Ham need. That's not a bad price, I think. I think I think it's an absolute bargain. I understand the West Ham owners are probably kind of looking at it with a financial view of well, we can get him next season. But they need to kind of look in the short term as well. Without him, maybe they'll fall off two, three, four places and he's mm. the difference in many games that will end up going behind him. Mm. So I feel like it's if they can get a good price, fair enough. Not a lot of teams want to. Only the best teams can get those one-year contract players for like, you know, for example, Varane, 34 million. But United have got the kind of funds to do that. Yeah. But they seem like West Ham, maybe they are looking at the looking at the financials a little bit. But... Like you said, regardless of Lingard bringing the goals, he brings so much more than the goals. He brings an energy to the team. He brings mm. someone who can kind of bring the team forward, which at times West Ham have lacked where they had Lanzini in the middle who, you know, was on and off with his form. Then you had like Yarmolenko who was coming in and out of the side. With Lingard, he's someone who can be the focal central point of the team, yeah. push the team forward and actually, you know, he's the kind of player who could run from the halfway line to the to the uh, the eighteen yard box and potentially change a game, and I feel like West Ham have let that person ever mm. since Payet was there who could really change the game on its head. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And actually, Jesse Lingard did get some minutes off the bench for Manchester United. I think the last 10-15 minutes he played against Southampton at the weekend that finished a one-one draw. But still, eight days left of the window, and we always know that this final week, Marley, is absolute chaos when it comes to transfers. <laughs> Let's talk about Leicester, though. We can talk about West Ham and about how they nearly breached into the top four places, which would have taken everyone by surprise last season. But Leicester, they'll be gutted still that they missed out on Champions League fifth place for a second season in a row. And we've said this before on the podcast that with the strength of Liverpool, City, United and Chelsea now, it almost feels like they've missed that opportunity, that window to finish in the Champions League places. If we are going to go on that tact, are Leicester City the best of the rest, for want of a better term, of the other sides that aren't title contenders? Would you be picking Leicester City as probably the best of the bunch? Yeah, I would. Um, I think if you're looking at the the top four, everyone's expecting it to, to pick itself, you know, Man United. Uh, Man City, Liverpool and Chelsea in, in whatever order you want but you look outside that and you say the, the traditional big six is them four plus Arsenal and, and Spurs and you, you look at Arsenal and you think you're nowhere near the the level needed to get into the top six. Spurs, it remains to be seen, obviously they've had a good start, it depends what happens with Kane, 
Um, if they lose Kane, you'd probably say you'd back them to get pipped by someone. And if anyone's going to pip them, it, it would be Leicester, in my opinion. Mm. Um, they've got the track record of finishing, you know, nearly getting over the line. And yes, that's disappointing, but that'll all count for experience. Um, you know, two years of finishing fifth, if they ever have, have the carrot in front of them of the top four, knowing that every game is like needing to win because they might get pipped again. You know, I think that's a, a massive thing for them. But I think if Leicester finish fifth, it's another great season for them. Yeah, um, and they did win the FA Cup as well. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, they are capitalising on the squad they've got. It's not like they're underachieving, um, especially with their injuries as well at the back. You know, they've they've struggled at the back and just signed Vestergaard to try and sort that out. But you're looking at that and saying, I think Leicester are a very, very well-qualified and well-equipped team to 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 be there if somebody in that top four doesn't gel for some reason. I mean, we expected Spurs last year to get in the yeah. top four and they, they didn't. They scraped eighth in the end. Mm. So I guess oh, that's what we're saying. Is we, we probably prefer Leicester over Tottenham right now. And I know Tottenham have got Kane and they won at the weekend as well. Second win in a row for Nuno Espirito Santo in the Premier League. Deli Alley with that goal. But actually, I think Leicester, uh, I, I prefer watching them. I think they're a better team just, just right now. Um, but I still think this is a tough one to call tonight against West Ham, and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't win today against the Hammers. Yeah, it's um, it's a tight one. Um, I'd just about back Leicester. I think they they tend to start seasons really well. Um, yeah. Leicester it tends to be you know the last the last ten games as it has been the last couple of seasons, but uh, where they where where they drop off if they do drop off. But I do think they're slightly better equipped than West Ham. Um, you know, West Ham did show a lot of frailties against my lot last week um, and you know conceding two goals to Newcastle is a little bit of a worry because you know we're, we're not exactly the best team in the league so um, yeah I feel like I'd just about back Leicester but a tight game I think it's been quite entertaining to be honest um, and it'll be interesting to see how the uh, the fans affect West Ham with them being back in the stadiums and stuff like that I'm always wary of writing off supposedly slightly weaker home teams because of that uh that new sort of angle of the game of having your home home crowd back. Yeah, I think we've seen... It's just a shame they sat 150 yards from the uh, action at any point <laughs> at the London Stadium. Yeah. I think we've seen that already this season, that home fans returning can make a difference. Just quickly then, Joel, what, what are your thoughts? Do you fancy West Ham or Leicester for this one? I think I fancy West Ham this time round. Um, I feel like with Leicester, what I do worry about them for the future going forward is the fact that Vardy isn't getting any younger. And he's kind of been the mm. talisman throughout every single season. Um, but I do fancy West Ham. I feel like, I don't know, it's a difficult one because I see them both in very similar tiered teams where they both have aspirations to get, try and at least breach the top four, top five. Mm. Um, but I feel like with Leicester, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I feel like West Ham will probably edge it, especially with them getting the fans back. We know how volatile it can get sometimes when they uh, when they start dropping form at home as well. So that might influence the <laughs> the outcome a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be a very closely contested kind of 2-2 type of game where both defences, both teams really just want to commit, go forward and try and... Cause these two are very, very head-to-head rivals, I would say. They probably need to keep an eye on each other throughout the season. Um, but I think it's going to be very closely contested, very equally match side. Um, but I feel like West Ham with the fans there, 
I feel like they'll be very way more up for it than Leicester today. Very brave of you to go for a score prediction as well. Uh, that's something I try and avoid <laughs> on the podcast. That's what Joel and Marley think. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at the Sports Social is our social media handle on Twitter. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Going to take a quick break now on the podcast and afterwards we'll be talking about Liverpool because Jordan Shakiri looks like he could be on his way out of Anfield. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your only seven-day-a-week Premier League podcast. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode again. There's a new one every single day. And if you do hit that subscribe or follow button or whatever it is, however you listen to your podcast, you'll be notified straight away as soon as a new episode is ready. But for now, though, we're going to talk about Liverpool and who better to invite onto the podcast than our own Steve McNaughton, our Liverpool expert. How are you doing, Steve? Morning. We okay? Yeah, very, very well. Good to have you with us um, because we're going to talk about the Cube, the as cube. you like to call him, not the game show on British TV, but the uh, the Swiss midfield player who is leaving Anfield. He's on his way to Lyon. Mm. How do you assess Shakiri's contribution for your club, Liverpool, since he signed in 2018? Eight goals in 63 games, six of those in his first Liverpool season. I would argue it's tailed off. What's your assessment? <laughs> I, I think his contribution's been minimal, in all honesty. Um, I think he'll, you know, obviously he come off the bench and got a double against Man United in that game, which was very welcome, which it always is. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he scored a, a great overhead kick, um, you know, against him in pre-season and a great counter-attacking goal at West Ham and he put a cross in for Salah and that. But apart from that, a lot of injuries, um, not really produced his best form when he started for us. Um, can't really see him being a massive miss in all honesty, we paid thirteen million from Stoke three years ago for him. He leaves for what nine and a half million. Mm. You, you've got to take that all day, <laughs> and he's twenty nine years of age as well. So, so effectively, you paid three and a half million for two good goals against Man United. But you money that. well spent. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might say but, that. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah. I just think you know, obviously, all the best to, to him in his future, and that. I think that league is a good standard for him. Right, where he is in his career. I mean, apart from when they come up against PSG twice a year, yeah. um, or you know, in the cup. But uh, yeah, disappointing. I'd say he's been disappointing, but. He leaves with, you know, Premier League winners medal. He leaves with a Champions League winners medal. You know, Club World Cup, Super Cup. He's made a career out of going to these places, um, not actually contributing a massive amount, but coming out with loads of honours. Well, <laughs> you know, so I think you've said that before, Marley. That actually, if you look at his CV in terms oh, of the yeah. club he's played for, it's pretty decorated. Yeah, it's mad. Except when he went to Stoke and it all went a bit tits <laughs> yeah. up. But yeah, uh, yeah. But he's he's got a, a CV. It'd be, you know. Very, uh, very proud of. I'm sure his grandkids in a few years. You know, his uh, his medal hall. He could conceivably convince his kids that he was the best player in the world at one point. With all the, <laughs> I'm not sure he'd go that uh, far. All them things. Like, look, yeah. at, look at the size of my calves. And uh, yeah. if he's his... if he's not like a government ambassador or blagged his way up into a high ranking job somewhere by that point, I can see what you mean. Um, in terms of a, a deal that's been struck, as Steve says, Joel, nine and a half million. Going to Leon, do you think it's a better deal for Liverpool or for Leon? Because they only paid 13 million. They're selling him for near 10 million three years on, and as Steve says, contribution minimal in his words. So, who do you think's got the best deal out of this? You know what? It makes me so jealous as a United fan that you can move on such fringe players for money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just look on and think, why can we not move on Phil Jones for nine million? But 
No, I think it represents good money, uh, good value for Liverpool. He's done like a decent job, like you said. The two goals that I forget about, to be fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Suppressed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a kind of player where he's not fit enough all the time to make a consistent impact. Agreed. But he's a player where you know when he's fit. I think for Leon, he'll probably do a really good job if he can stay fit because he's someone who's got such a unique kind of game-changing difference to his game. Like, especially when he was in the tournaments, like in the Euros and the World Cup, he'd always kind of come up trumps in those kind of games. Mm. Um, for Liverpool, no, I feel like it's, I think it's the right time for him to move on, um, especially for nine million. I'm surprised that they managed to get that for him considering that he's been very sparsely used. And I'm, I'm surprised that Leon have actually wanted to pay that much. Mm. But obviously with Memphis going, I'm sure they wanted to kind of fill that void a little bit. Um, but nine million represents really good value. But I'm not sure who they're going to end up getting in his place, which is going to kind of go alongside his quality because yeah. we know Liverpool are quite cash-strapped at the moment. I was going to say that's the million-dollar question, and we will use dollars because the, uh, the, the the boys over there are American owners <laughs> at Anfield. Um <laughs> You suggested to me, Steve, that you don't fancy anyone coming in. Eight days left of the window. With a player going out this late, it makes you feel that, that there should be someone coming in, a fresh face to replace him. You don't see that happening, do you? No, uh, but you know, with Liverpool, a lot of the signings are cloak and dagger, aren't they? And then suddenly a yellow yeah. bar appears on Sky Sports News. There's not that <laughs> massive you know, lead up, really. Well, you know, If you think about your club, for example... The, the transfers are really protracted. Like aren't a pantomime, they? You know isn't what I mean? There's yeah. loads goes on, and then mm. finally something happens. Um, whereas we have a different way of doing it, and I'm not saying one is better than the other. Um, I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. But from the people in the know, like your, you know, your Ornsteins, your Pierces, your Fabrizio Romanos, are not talking about anyone coming in at the minute. They're saying if they are going to do anything, it will be a surprise. And I just think that's the Liverpool model. We've talked about this in, in some depth before on the podcast, whereas Liverpool spend what they make. And, you know, they're not the most ambitious owners in the world in terms of improving the playing squad. Um, I think what, you know, Jürgen has achieved with, with a smaller budget than the most clubs, you know, a lot of clubs in the Premier League is, is miraculous. Never say never, but at the minute. And the other, the other side of that is who's actually out there to bring in? Mm. You know, when you think of, if someone asked me for a name on who they could go and pursue and try and get a deal yeah. done before the, what, 31st of August, is it? At yeah. five o'clock or something like that. Mm. You know, who could they actually go and get? And actually, in terms of Liverpool's modus operandi, to go out and get someone like Shakiri from Stoke for 13 million, you couldn't go and buy a similar player to Shakiri now in terms of, uh, of quality and for that price in today's market, no. three mm-hmm. or four years on, because you'd be looking probably at 10 million more at the very least. Yeah. So actually, with what Liverpool have got to work with, I think you've, you've got a good point there. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if you look, and I know it was only one game, but Harvey Elliott was outstanding at the weekend. Yes. Um, yeah, you've, you know, got to, you've, got to give, you've got to give him the chances, haven't you? you yeah. You, he's not going to get to a level that you all think he can be with it, just training with the guys. You've got to, you've got to put him on the pitch, haven't you, at some point. That, and, um, and also, he's, he looks more of a man now. And I know he was signed as a 16-year-old kid, which he was a kid, and he yeah. was naive and he made a few mistakes. He went out on loan, was it? Blackburn. To Blackburn. Blackburn and a did really of, well. Yeah, yeah so him, he, he, him and Adam Armstrong were superb together. Yeah, and so. he's come back. I feel and for he looked, now, actually. Yeah, losing them too. Yeah. <laughs> but he, they've, he's come back and he looks a bit more physical and he looks a bit more up for the fight and that's what you want from your players. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, he's, if you look at that, that goal that Liverpool had disallowed, the second goal that Salah scored, that, that pass from him was incredible. Um, and then for the go, the second goal, Mane's goal, where he's picked it up on the wing, I think he's chested it and he brought it down from a big, you know, long diagonal from Virgil. The, the lad has got skills 
for days. And, I, you know, I think my biggest worry with Harvey Elliott is the physical side of it. If he comes up, I mean, well, next game he's going to come up against, you know, N'Golo Conte, Jorginho um, against Chelsea. So that'll be interesting to see if he starts or whether he reverts, reverts to that Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago yeah. um, midfield. But very, very high hopes for him. Um, you know, he's he, he has got to be given the chance, like Marley says, and I think he'll get a run of games. We haven't got any intention of loaning him out this time. Mm. So he will be in the first-team squad. Um, and, and we mentioned off her as well, you know, Kay, Kay Gordon is, is apparently pulling up a lot of trees as well in training. Mm. Um, he's another really, really young, exciting prospect we signed from Derby in summer, I think it was, wasn't it? Well, just before the end, uh, end of the season. So I think the future is quite bright. Um, I think that as a result, that is good for the national team as well. Um, obviously, because we've got these players bubbling away as, as you know, players come to the end of their England career. So I'm not sure Liverpool will go out and spend yeah. big money before the 31st of August. I think if they were to do anything, I think they might have a... I mean, and it's only a guess, so, you know, we'll probably get loads of people going, oh, he knows nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think they might try and have a... Regular I, listeners know we know nothing. I know, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they might try and have a nibble on Saf and Watford. Yeah, I was thinking that because he's been linked with Liverpool, Ishmael Assar, but also links to Adama Traore. And, and you know, you talk of physicality. <laughs> is, is there anyone more physical? Maybe Lukaku now, but... If you, uh, need, if you need a guy to go back, of, go past a full-back and then miss the one-on-one that he creates, you need to buy Adama Traore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've also just read here, when uh, just doing a little bit of research on Jordan Shakiri that apparently he had a hair transplant on international duty during his <laughs> Liverpool career. Didn't realise he couldn't head a ball for six weeks and had to tell Jurgen Klopp and he wasn't very happy. I don't know how true that is. I think there's probably mileage in that because he comes back with this, um, you know, he obviously had a, a receding hairline and um, comes back in with this, this like, uh, what should Perm. we say? Yeah, weft on, on the top of his head. And I just think that, um, I mean, that 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 is him, you know. I mean, if your manager's saying, well, I can't play him because if a cross comes in, he's going to back away mm. from it. Mm. Um, it's not like he can win many headers anyway. Know, he's five foot but, seven. But, you know, I mean, even like, you know, Jota's not the tallest person in the world, is he? But he scores loads of headers, and that, you know. So yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that's the kind of, it, it's an attitude thing, isn't it? And with Jurgen Klopp, the attitude's yeah. got to be right. And if you're going off and getting a syrup, put on top of your head, um, <laughs> you know, and, and not thinking of the bigger picture. The time to do that is in, you know, pre-season yeah. or, or as the season finishes when there's that six-week gap until the, the pre-season starts when mm. he can bed in and the follicles can gel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, um, You're speaking with a tinge of jealousy, yeah, I think. You know, I'm not, you know, it's one of them. It's like, I, I never considered it myself. And, I, you know, when, when, when it started happening to me when I was in my 30s, I was like, just embrace it. I was just going to shave it all off. Um, yeah, you know, had to have a headed to cross it. Okay, and I, yeah, yeah. So I just think, yeah, um, farewell, Jordan. Um, you know, bon voyage. <laughs> and, um, I think he'll do all right over there, but yeah, we, we, I don't think we're going to suffer that much. I think Genie Wijnaldum was a much bigger loss. Okay, finally mm. then, just on Liverpool. We've spoken about the four title contenders here on Football Social Daily in our eyes. Obviously, the Premier League has a tendency to surprise us, but Chelsea looks strong. City are obviously going to be up there. Manchester United have improved their squad. And Liverpool, with the way that Jurgen Klopp gets them playing 1-11, to an exceptionally strong side. But outside of that 11, Marley, in terms of squad depth, we're talking about the top four. Is Liverpool's squad probably on paper the weakest, for want of a better term, out of the four title contenders we've discussed, do you think? Oh, yeah, probably. We use I'm using the word weak very, very loosely because oh, it's yeah. still a very good squad. But, Absolutely. You know, compared to the other other three teams we're talking about, you know, Chelsea have got an embarrassment of riches. Man United have added a fair bit of depth. Um, and City have got the same, if not more, than the 
the pair of them, to be fair. You know, they've got plenty of ways, to, ways of playing. I know they haven't got a striker, but you still wouldn't back them to, to not score in many games. Um, so, yeah, probably, probably Liverpool. But, I mean, it's unlikely that they're going to have as bad a, an injury run as last season because that completely hindered them. Um, and, you know, you've got to be really unlucky for something like that to happen again. So I think they've got plenty of of firepower to certainly do what they want to do this season, which is qualify for the Champions League first and foremost and see if you can have a title run, see if, you know, other teams don't gel or whatever and, and you can be there to pick up the pieces. If if City fumble, if Chelsea um, don't quite gel, even though they, they look as though they're going to be strong as anything, Chelsea. Um, but yeah, Liverpool have got, got to be in that mix. You know, they've got the experience of winning a title now. That's huge for their mentality, I think. So... You know, you've got your two centre-backs back. You've got Gomez, Van Dijk, you've got Matip even. Uh, Canate is still not coming in. You've got Trent more confident now. He's got them behind him to cover him. So I feel like this top four is very, very even, as in they're, they're, they're so even that they can just pull away from the rest. And I feel like they'll all be chasing the top four's dust. But, yeah, Liverpool would definitely be in that mix. I think it's going to be a really exciting title race mm-hmm. this season. I can't wait for it. Catch us after this where we'll be talking more transfer news. Weston McKenney could be on his way to Tottenham. That's according to the Italian press. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm Niall. Still got Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson alongside me. Steve McNaughton's gone to... Uh, He's desperately trying to get in touch with Shakiri's uh, <laughs> hair man. <laughs> to no. get to Turkey soon. <laughs> Great to hear from Steve. Always speaks with passion and authority on Liverpool. Great to hear his thoughts on Jordan Shakiri's departure. But we're going to be talking about more transfer gossip now rather than nailed on news because it is almost guaranteed 100% that Shakiri's off to Leon for 9.5 million. It isn't guaranteed that Tottenham will sign Weston McKenney this summer but that's what's being reported by Tuto Sport in Italy he of course plays for Juventus he's an American international one of the exciting young prospects they've got coming out of USA of course with Christian Pulisic as well and even in general in North America and I don't want to lump Canada and the United States together because I know that will annoy a few of our listeners but even um, Canada have got some really good players as well so it's actually great to see the sport growing on the continent of North America but Weston McKenney is one of the young American stars at Juventus do you think he could be a good fit at Tottenham Joel if he is someone who they managed to pick up? Yeah, well, it sounds to me like they're trying to prepare for potentially life after Ndombele, um, after all of the rumours that he wants out. With McKenney, he's a massively vital part of the Allegri side, so I'd be very surprised if they actually go and take the plunge and actually accept a big offer from Tottenham. Um, but like you said, for an American to come over to Italy and perform the way he has has been is 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 huge, especially for the American sports as well. Um, to have these big name Americans in the big name European sides, it shows a little bit of a shift in their like sporting kind of side. Um, but it would take a massive offer for them to actually allow him to leave. But I do know that they've just signed Locatelli from Sassuolo, who's yeah. a phenomenal player, had an amazing Euros, um, scored two amazing goals in the group stages as well, um, and was a vital part of Mancini's side. Um, so potentially. Like he would be surplus to requirements if they receive a good fee. And as we know, the Italian sides aren't the most blessed with the finances at the moment. 
Um, so I feel like it could be tempting for them to make that change. But in terms of fitting into Tottenham's side, I do feel as though they are very, very thin in that central area. Mm. Obviously, Lacelso hasn't adapted the way that he was playing uh, back in Spain. Uh, obviously, Ndombele was very highly rated when he was at Lyon. He showed really nice sparks yeah. of form under Mourinho um, during the latter stages. But then, again, there seems to be some kind of behind-the-scenes... Um, throw out between him and uh, Nuno Espirito so I feel like Tottenham are trying to prepare for the outcome that some of these midfielders who Pochettino kind of plan to build into the side are not actually what they're looking for mm. and I feel like with McKenney is a very nice dynamic midfielder he could play as a 6 player. as an 8 mm. he could play as a 10 potentially I feel like they do need a little bit of dynamism in that midfield because Right now, they're looking very, very thin, um, especially, if, like for example, they can't rely on Deli Ali as much as they used to under Pochettino. Uh, Winks, you know, he's, he is what you get. Um, obviously, you can't rely much on Soko and Dombele potentially leaving, so he does leave in a very vulnerable position. Um, and I really wouldn't be surprised if they go and take the plunge from McKenney. But as we've been talking about, there's just very few top-quality centre mids that are available at the moment. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I feel as though it'd be a a shrewd signing for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, Eves Bissouma at Brighton is a central midfield player. I think he also plays slightly deeper as well. He played fantastic at the weekend. He's had such a good 12, 18 months for Mm. Brighton, hasn't he? And, you know, he's one that is a name on a few people's lips. But, you know, Weston McKenney, 22, um, plays in an excellent Juventus team. Like you say, box to box. It's quite refreshing to actually talk about Tottenham, even though it is about um, transfers that doesn't involve Harry Kane. Hmm. It's like the first podcast we've done in about a month that doesn't involve something on Harry Kane, but that's <laughs> the news from Tuto Sport in Italy, as picked up by the English press this morning, that uh, Juventus's American international Weston McKenney is attracting interest from Tottenham. Let's move to West London now and talk about Chelsea because they're still chasing a player that you've mentioned a couple of times on the show before, Marley, Jules Koundé. And apparently Chelsea have resumed talks with Sevilla over the transfer of the defender. But in order for the deal to go through, Chelsea would need to let go Davide Zappacosta, who is just one of those... Oh, no. I I know. (laughs) It's just one of those awful Chelsea signings that Antonio Conte made. He's in line for a move to Atalanta on a four-year deal. That one looks pretty close to completion. But also Kurt Zouma, the French defender who's been linked with the likes of West Ham and even Arsenal this summer, he would have to leave as well for this deal to be facilitated. Mm. On the whole, Marley, do you think that would be good business for Chelsea? Firstly, it's scary to think that they could even further strengthen their squad considering how good they look already with Lukaku coming in and scoring at the weekend too. That'll be the main focus, of course. But two players out for one in and one in in the quality of Koundé, do you think that's decent business for the Blues? Yeah, it's more... It's more good business. It's more, you know, depth, as we talked about before. You know, they've got the attacking depth, which is embarrassing. They've got, you know, five or six centre-backs now that are all quality. And if they bring in Koundé as well, you know, what is it, 70 million quid or some of the fee is. So, you know, I don't think they need him, to be honest. I don't think they need to go out and buy him to become what they can be, like to to put them as title favourites or to make mm. them any more a title favourite if you already have them at that level. But, you know, I think Thiago, Christensen, Zuma, Rudiger and Trevor Chalaber coming in as well. <laughs> you know, he, he played bloody brilliant and got dropped at the weekend. So oh, no. I know it was Arsenal and it was maybe a bit of a step up, but, you know, 
still feel a bit harsh on him. But... Do you think with this Koundé thing, it's because Thiago Silva is in his late 30s and he's still an excellent defender, but he can't carry on forever, not at the elite level. So in terms of a replacement Probably, yeah. and everyone kind of shifting up a level and then bringing someone in, do you think that's with it, with a view to that maybe? Probably, yeah, but you know you know that but when you signed Thiago Silva, I know it wasn't Tuchel that did it, but mm. you know you know the issues with Thiago Silva. You know that he's 36 and he's coming to probably the fastest-paced league in the world and he might struggle and you know we they've never played him for two games in a week pretty much since he's been there. So you know what's going to come and you know that you know it's not a surprise. So I don't know. With I'm I'm sick of Kounde getting linked with everywhere and then not going everywhere, <laughs> not going anywhere after, you know the the window shut. It, it's starting to wind me up to be honest. But it's you know if they can get it done, it just makes them even more of a, an absolute beast, doesn't it? Because mm. they've got depth everywhere, they've got quality in every position, at least two players for every position, um, which is obviously what you need to compete on all the four fronts that you're on. Um, so yeah, if if they get him, it's just another strong piece to the puzzle so yeah and in terms of Zuma possibly being one of the outgoing players I don't think anyone's too bothered even Chelsea fans by Zappa Costa leaving because he's shown absolutely nothing but Zuma leaving their business this summer do you remember a few a couple of months ago when we were talking about Haaland potentially coming and I said that Chelsea could raise 100 million pound of players quite easily by selling their fringe players yeah that's exactly what they've done yeah they spent 97 on Lukaku yeah yeah they've Mm. they bought him for like a net of about 12 million or something ridiculous like that because they've sold Livermento and Kennedy and Giroud and then um, Gehi to to Palace and all that and all of a sudden there's 100 million there so Mm. financially they're not they're not doing too bad and and also you know in terms of the quality of centre-backs where does Zuma rank in those names that you mentioned probably slightly above Chalaba just because of his experience and Mm. Chalaba's age but actually, if Kunde does come in, how far down does that bump Zuma? Is probably below Rudiger, below Thiago Silva, on a par or below Christensen, I'd arguably say. So actually, is there much of a future for Kurt Zuma at Chelsea? And, and maybe West Ham or Arsenal somewhere in London is, is where he continually be, is being linked with. So maybe that mm. is, isn't a bad move at all. Also, I wanted to mention on Lukaku, as frightening as he was on the pitch in his performance against Arsenal, I don't know if you heard his post-match interview, but the way he was speaking, like, it was just... it's just day at the office. Yeah, just <laughs> so calm and relaxed and just so self-confident and almost kind of so relaxed that it's, it's quite unnerving in a way. You're <laughs> thinking that he knows he's going to batter you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just... I, just... Did, I did feel... A, I felt a little bit sorry for Pablo Marie at the weekend, but also I felt, felt like Arteta should have seen this coming because Pablo Marie is not the most physical of centre-backs. He's... Uh, you know, sort of cultured, good on the ball. He's not going to fight you for ninety minutes. You know what I mean? But he got I absolutely mean, bulldozed. Lukaku, by friggin Lukaku just ragdolled him around, and it was it was like Brock Lesnar versus a midget in the in in a wrestling ring. It's madness. Um, well, it was, I watched obviously the goal. He just bodies him for the goal and yeah, leaves him on the floor. And, but mm. then I felt, did you see Marie get booked later on? Because Lukaku was doing that thing where he comes short, plants his feet, and gets the ball with his back to goal. He was on like halfway line. But Pablo Marie was so confused about... In, in, that basically, he knew that once he's got his back to him, he couldn't do it. So instead, he tried to nick it um, by diving in around him. But because Lukaku's got such a wide base and he's so good with his body, 
Marie just ended up smashing through the back of him and getting booked. <laughs> and it was like, the one thing you can't do now is then go and get physical with a guy when you're booked. So you're absolutely screwed from, from 45 minutes or whatever it was. So just an absolute schooling of how to be a, a Premier League target man centre yeah. forward. It was fantastic. Yeah, Chelsea look good, don't they? They look frightening, but they do have Liverpool next, which will be an interesting game. Let's talk about Manchester United, though, who didn't get the result they wanted yesterday against Southampton. They drew 1-1 at St Mary's and had to come from behind, in fact, to uh, to secure a point. The Daily Mirror are reporting that Manchester United want Ruben Neves. It's not the first time we've heard that. Just a little bit of an aside on Manchester United news. Brandon Williams has just joined Norwich City on a loan deal for the season. He's just passed a medical at Carrow Road. So that is a definite outgoing from Old Trafford. He's going to uh, link up with Daniel Farkas Canaries for the rest of the season on a loan deal. But back to this transfer story regarding Ruben Neves. This comes from the Daily Mirror. 40 million quid is what Wolves allegedly want. United trying to knock the price down, say the newspaper. Um, I don't think forty million is too bad for a player of Ruben Nevis's quality. Joel, you're a United fan. What do you make of the story? Give them double, honestly. <laughs> after watching the midfield of Fred and McTominay, actually, to be fair, McTominay is very much improved. But after watching Fred at the weekend with Matic, which turned slower than off milk, I mean, I feel as though we will not challenge this season if we don't get a new midfielder in, and it's been apparent for a year or two now. It's the fact that Ollie just seems to put his trust in players who are not going to provide us that next step of challenging for the title. Against Southampton at the weekend, Fred was an absolute liability in the middle with Matic where consistently they would get caught napping on the ball or they would give it to Maguire and Lindelof in an awkward circumstance which would set Southampton onto the attack. We need someone who's got that conviction in midfield, the one who will take the ball under five players pressuring him or will distribute a pass, knows where he needs to go. Fred is one of those players, I see him kind of like Park, Park Ji-sung, not in terms of as good in terms of impact, but a player who should be a fringe player, comes in against Shakhtar in the Champions League. He's not a player where we want to be starting him against Liverpool away, trying to go for a title, and he's there getting pressed by Fabinho and these kind of players. This was against Southampton, and I still am so flabbergasted that Oli insists on going for two centre-defensive midfielders against Southampton when we have the quality midfield to pretty much dominate them. Mm. But this is the problem. We don't dominate games because we can't even dominate midfields at the moment. You've got Fred and Matic in there who cannot dominate a game. Mm. And I feel like with Neves, he's the type of player who, like I said, he could operate in there on his own. And he's got such an amazing pass distribution where he could easily pick out a 40-yard pass and he will not misplace it. I'd love to see his accuracy in his passing yeah. compared to Fred because I bet he's worlds apart. And in terms of the grit and the steel that you want in the middle of the park, are those bases covered by the likes of Matic and the likes of McTominay? So if you do bring someone in like Ruben Neves, you've got the option for him to just let him do his thing, play slightly further forward and be that kind of dictator, the person who's pinging the passes off and pulling the strings. Is that the sort of role that you would anticipate Ruben Neves playing? For instance, if United did switch to a a 4-3-3, he could play in the middle or you could have Matic playing in the middle slightly deeper and then two more advanced midfielders of which he could be one and actually get him on the ball in more advanced areas rather than when, for instance, Solskjaer plays Pogba or Van der Beek further back. 
lot of people say that stifles their ability to get on the ball and make things happen. So if Neves was to come in, do you think that he would need to be given that freedom to be able to go forward and do a little bit more with it? 100%. I feel like we would just dominate games way more. I'd 100% do it in a 4-3-3. Um, the fact that we have to rely on Matic and Fred to kind of begin the progress of play where he'll receive it from Maguire, then he has to start the play to Pogba or to, uh, to Bruno. That's where we're going wrong consistently every single game, at least with um, Neves. He's the type of player where as soon as he receives it from Maguire, you're straight on the attack. As soon as you get it from Fred, it's like he hasn't thought of the next process in his mind or yeah. he's not on a wavelength with everyone else. Mm. I saw a clip yeah. yesterday he's where very Fred... very simple, isn't he? He's, like uh, very, very, um, his radar was off yesterday, he, in all yeah. fairness and this is the He had a bad difference. day. He scored an own goal. It wasn't his fault, but he, was, he, was, he had a bad day at the office yesterday. But it's a constant bad day at the office, though. He's, he's not. A, we need a midfielder who's giving us eights out of tens. He's giving us six or sevens, and yeah. that's not enough for a title. I always think with, with, with Fred, he's like... On his best day, he's okay, but like When's when an, when when an okay player has has a bad game, he's a liability. And it he saw us in that yesterday with with Southampton. You know, his, his passing was crap. His his tackling wasn't there. He wasn't getting on the ball. One thing Southampton do to every team is press. They yeah. they force you to play, and if you're good enough to play around them, you you beat them. Yeah. But if you if you panic and he's he's stifled by them. You know that's when they 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 do well. That's why they beat us so easily last season twice because we panic on the ball. Yeah. Newcastle are a, a a panicky team. We don't dominate possession, but you've got to be like that against uh, Southampton. That's why they couldn't lay a glove on Chelsea. Well, it was like um, when um you know someone like that when yeah. Troy Deeney said a few uh, a few months ago when he was on Talksport that when Watford were playing United they targeted Fred mm. because they knew that if he takes a touch he's a liability. Yeah. Whereas Ruben Neves. As soon as you get to touch, yeah. you probably know that he's he's one step ahead. He knows where he's going to distribute it to. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's a thing like with Neves as well. Like you always find out about players when you watch what other players do when they get the ball, and you see if Neves gets it and he gets it out his feet, the wingers have just gone. Mm. The the centre forwards made a run because they, they've got the confidence that he can pick them out. But mm. with Fred, he gets a ball, everyone comes short. It's like he's going to give you fifteen, twenty yards, and then we'll have to play two or three passes to get up the field. And yeah. it's, it's it's just not at the level, especially with fifty million quid for yeah. God's sake. Don't you know what I mean? Me. Like, and, and also, I think as well, what you want from your midfielders, and I know it's hard to level this at two defensive midfield players if you're playing that formation. But I think if you are going to win a title, you need more goals from midfield. I don't think Manchester United score enough goals from midfield. McTominay got four last season. I think Fred has scored probably four in his entire Manchester United career. One of which came last week against Leeds. Matic doesn't pop up with goals. And really, Van der Beek hasn't been given much of a chance. So in terms of someone who can try and bag four or five goals a season, I think Neves has that ability to do that. We haven't seen it so much in the last couple of seasons, but he's got that in his locker, hasn't he? We've seen it for Wolves, I mean, in the championship when they got promoted, where he was pinging um, balls over the top and, and, and smashing volleys in from 40 yards. Mm. And those are the exciting players that United fans love, aren't they? 100%, especially with Neves, he's like set-piece taking... I remember, I think pretty much every single goal, I bet his average yards out are probably around 30, 40 yards yeah. because that's all he just does. I think he's never, there was a stat a while ago, it might have changed now, but he, he he's never had a shot from inside the box for Wolves. <laughs> we, that's and what we need. he scored something yeah. like 15 goals. So, like, over, I think maybe he might have took a couple of penalties here and there, but mm. from open play, he's never had a shot inside the box. That's funny, that. I mean, we can talk about his benefits for Manchester United if he goes there. Of course, it's all speculation in the newspapers right now. But how big of a blow would that be and how big of a loss would it be for Wolves? Because 
New managers come in, Bruno Lage to replace Nuno Espirito Santo. They've lost both of their games to start the Premier League season. They had a bad season by their standards last time around. I mean, if they lose Neves as well, that's a big blow for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's massive. Um, if he, to be fair, like if he goes, it's a huge loss. But I don't think they could ever blame him if if he uh, if he left because he's given what is it four years now? I think or maybe yeah. five, and, and especially to a club as like an eighteen year old as well. Like, yeah, I think they signed him as an eighteen year old or something like that from from Porto, wasn't it? Where he was captain, it was a bizarre move even back then. But it was always going to be they were never going to be his final destination. Um, it was always going to be a a sort of uh, stepping stone type of move for for him to come and get used to England and stuff like that, and then go on to bigger bigger things. But I think in terms of how Wolves play, he's huge for them. But they've also got Dendonka and Moutinho in the middle, who can probably shore it up. They won't be as good without Neves, but they're never going to go out and get another Neves um, style player. So I think Wolves might just have to move on without him now. I think. You haven't shown that level of ambition that you're going to crack the top seven, top eight, um, even top ten, you would maybe argue. They finished seventh twice in a row, but as soon as you've dropped off from that seventh, mm. that's when players go, well, we've hit seventh. What's next? And we can't get any further. We've gone Seeing. seventh, seventh, thirteenth, I think it was. Yeah, they it's like hit growing pains, isn't it? And also yeah. as well, in terms of the makeup of Wolves, since those seasons, they've got a different manager now who's going to need time to settle. Raul Jimenez had that horrible head injury and who knows if he's going to come back the same. I mean, he's obviously been involved in those two games they've mm. had, but until he starts bagging 15 a season again, people will say, oh, he's not the same player. Yeah. And, you know, Adama Traore has gone off the boil. Doherty was sold. They've got, you know, they had Fabio Silva, like an 18-year-old kid trying to score the goals for them last season. It, it does feel like there are issues there at Wolves that need to be sorted out. Yeah, I think... The goalie was good at the weekend. <laughs> other, <laughs> other than that, um, I'm looking at Wolves and thinking, I think your golden generation has, has been. Um, now it's a weird sort of transitional period. You don't know how long that's going to last. Um, you know, what way it's going to go when you come out the other side of it. Are you going to come out as good as you were? Because that's, that's very hard to replicate that success again. Um, I feel like there might just be a sort of one of those mid-table obscurity teams for a few years now. Um, and we'll have to see what they do after that. I know they have got, to be fair, they have got the most injuries of any team at the minute. I think they've got seven guys out, mm. including Pedro Neto and Daniel Pedence, who are probably yeah, Neto's probably class, their two it? best mm. players, if you've been, well, two of their three best players, I would say, um, alongside mm. Jimenez, a, a fully fit Jimenez, um, and Neves as well, so... Yeah. You know, you're talking, uh, you're talking a big, a big loss there. So yeah, Pedence, Bolly, Johnny, Pedro yeah. Neto, yes, and Mascara, who was a new signing, and Hugo Bueno, all injured at the moment for Wolverhampton Wanderers, and that doesn't include any possible knocks that might have been picked up over the weekend. Mm. I do wonder how Wolves will get on this season, but that's the latest transfer news regarding them and Ruben Neves, who could be on his way to Manchester United. £40 million is the quoted price in the Daily Mirror. But that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much, Joel. Enjoyed your debut. Hope you did as well. Great debut. <laughs> Patrick. Great debut. Pats himself on the back. That's what you want to see. Thank you very much, Marley. Can we expect to see you again tomorrow or are you, you going to have a day off? You tell me. <laughs> every Last uh, last week you said you were only on Friday and ended up on every bloody day. Yeah, so you know <laughs> transfer requests oh, we'll maybe. see keeping you keen that's it for today's episode hit subscribe that way you won't miss tomorrow's and we'll catch you then on Football Social Daily 
Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.